This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beers in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Brewing and their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff going on there. Be sure to check them out. And uh, if you're down there for homecoming this week, be sure to stop in. I know the parade will be running right uh, down points before it uh, makes its way to Aggieville, so a great place uh, to get involved in all of the uh, homecoming festivities uh, there. This week, We've got Quentin uh, subbing in for Delhi on the short side option, and we're going to look back at K-State's 38-28 loss to TCU and preview Saturday's game against Oklahoma State. As I mentioned, it's homecoming for the Wildcats as they take on the Cowboys in a matchup of two teams fighting for a chance at Big 12 supremacy. Let the Big 12 elimination games begin. This is the short side option. to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the Icon. And in for Delhi this weekend, we've got Q, who uh, comes into the mix with us. And, and we unfortunately are going to be breaking down a 38-28 uh, Kansas State loss at the hands of the TCU Horn Fox. K-State got out to a 28-17 lead. Led this game at 28-10 at one point in the second quarter. Uh, but then the Horned Frogs took control from there, uh, outscoring the Wildcats 21-0 in the second half, and, and they uh, they get a big win over Kansas State. And they stay undefeated, 7-0 and 4-0 in, in in the conference for TCU. K-State welcomes in Oklahoma State this week. K-State at 5-2, 3-1 in conference play. Oklahoma State 6-1 and 3-1 and in conference play. So, Really a huge game in the Big 12, and uh, we're going to look back at the TCU game and, and of course, look ahead here to uh, to Oklahoma State on Saturday. Q, it's great to have you in here. Thanks for being able to uh, pinch hit for us here on the short side option. Uh, happy to be here, Icon. Uh, awfully big shoes to fill uh, with our good friend Deli. Not here today, but I'm going to yeah. try my best to give my best analysis. Well, we we, uh, we count on you to do so because, uh, you know, we... Uh, you do have big shoes to fill. I, I'm glad you recognize that. But Deli, um, he unable to join us this week, but uh, I'm sure he'll be back in fold in due time. So, we get on here. So, K-State. First drive of the game, Adrian Martinez leaves with an injury. Then, then you see Will Howard come in. And what everyone's thinking is, oh, okay, Will Howard's coming in the game. Like you think, oh, maybe it's like a lingering injury. Maybe just, hey, take a series off, Adrian, get your worked out. Uh, but then Will Howard does what everyone thought he would do and go lead us to four straight touchdowns. In uh, case they gets it gets out to a twenty to ten lead uh, here on the road in Fort Worth, um, 
we're not going to know. I, the way I want to go about this is I kind of want to just look here at what went right for Will Howard here in the first half. And then in the second half, what, for lack of a better term, what went wrong? Yep. And, you know, I've got a stab for you here, Quinn. And yeah. I, I pulled this off of, um, I pulled this off Bill Conley here. K-State ran 53 plays for 390 yards against TCU. 7.4 yards per play. Pretty darn good. The first 26 plays, they netted 303 yards. The last 27 plays that K-State ran, only 87. Really kind of a tale of two halves here for Kansas State. Uh, with, with what you saw from Will Howard, was able to run the ball a, a little bit effectively. Not not huge in terms of the home run kind of hitter that uh, that Adrian Martinez is running running the football but really looked a lot more polished throwing the ball. And, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. I was not able to watch the first half of the game live. Uh, I, was I was able to get in front of the, of the TV for the second half, so maybe I, maybe the blame's all on me. I, I don't know. Maybe I was the Very well could be, yeah. Maybe I'm the black cat. I don't know. But I looked down at my phone, and I had gotten text messages that Adrian Martinez was, was being sidelined with an injury. And I looked down at my phone, and I see Will Howard's like 6 of 6 for like 150 yards passing. I'm like, this surely is a miss. To be expected. Yes, course. exactly. So, Quinn, I want to ask you real quick. When you look at what happened there from the success that K-State saw in the first several drives with Will Howard, 4 of 4 you know, for touchdowns there to get started, to really seeing this K-State offense get stagnant in the second half, what, what do you point that to? You know, looking back through some of the plays, I – you could see that in the first half, it felt like the confidence was there, and obviously, I think we caught TCU off guard. Um, yeah, much like our friends out in the desert uh, with the betting lines. I, I don't think anyone was anticipating to see Will Howard. He looked confident. It looked like we had great schematics built into it. We had receiver play was great. Them coming back to the ball, um, and, and really, I thought the offensive line was really clicking. Um, we we had a great mix of run and pass. And towards the end of the second half, uh, or into the first, second quarter leading into the second half, um, there were some miscues. It looked like there were some missed blocks. It looks like uh, some of the play calling may have gotten more reserved and more conservative. And obviously injuries play a huge part of this icon. I mean, I, I think we talked about the tale of two halves there. Um, with Sinod going down, with Will taking a hit there in the second half, I, I think you can probably attribute some of our play calling changes to, to just you know adjusting to what was going yeah. on in the game. You know, in some of those plays that, you know, K-State picks up like a couple, third and 16, third and 11, yeah. where, where Will Howard's having to push the ball downfield. And, you know, he showed some good touch in, in terms of being able to, you know, in, 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 whether if they're in, in a cover two look where over yeah. the linebackers yep. before the free safeties, uh, they, they got Malik Knowles on that nice square in route where he looked like he probably scored on that play, but they mark him down to one case that's able to punch it in there. But, you know, really, I think that this is kind of a, an interesting spot that we find ourselves in here going into the Oklahoma State game because I want to look at it from this perspective, is that most people, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be at the front of the line here on this and, and, and own it, but... I, I did not really think that Will Howard really has what it takes to be a Power 5 starter. And um, he's, I saw enough from him last week that made me think, okay, there has been some significant improvement. Now, here's the thing. Does he have the clutch sheet icon? Does he – how does he handle the whole week of – I'm going to go ahead and say that he's going to – 
start. I don't think Adrian Martinez is going to pl- is going to play, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a situation where, hey, Will, we're going to give you the keys here to start, but if you go down, hey, Adrian's going to try to get it out and, and come back in. I could see that being the case. I don't even think that that's necessarily likely. But what I would say is now with a, a situation with Will Howard going forward, saying, you know, being the presumptive starter going into this week, how does he handle that? And this Oklahoma State defense he's going up against, not the Oklahoma State defense of last year. Uh, certainly a, a unit that uh, has some warts, has some injury problems of their own. Uh, I'll be very interested to see uh, in terms of what we see from Will Howard, if he can carry over some of those good things that you saw on Saturday against TCU, if he's able to carry him over on Saturday against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's familiar with, with Will Howard. You know, yeah. I believe that was his first true start last year in mm-hmm. Stillwater. Yeah. And so they, yeah, that's, there's there's tape on him that they have. And regardless, talent is not the same in Stillwater as it was in previous years. Injuries are going to be a main storyline leading into the Saturday. But there's tape out there of them playing. Yeah. They know what his capabilities are running the football. And it was a rough showing in Stillwater last year for Will. And I think you're absolutely right. It, for a full week of preparation, team scheming, knowing that you're the quarterback, Mike Gunning can talk all he wants saying that he thinks Adrian Martinez is going to be starting for us. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be Will, first play, trotting out at 2.30 this Saturday at the Bill. Um, and it's uh, for as long as he can remain healthy, I, I think he's going to be our quarterback. Yeah, and you know, I – it's it's funny you think about this. This is Will Howard's third year. This is his third straight start against. Guys like twenty eight. Yeah, and, and it's his third straight start against Oklahoma State. Having started against him in twenty twenty, um, had him starting against him in twenty twenty one. So I mean, yeah, it, it, it's hard to believe that with, with Skylar Thompson having been here, and then uh, for as long as he had been here, and then for um, for Adrian Martinez coming that. The last three times we played Oklahoma State, it's, Adrian, or it's uh, Will Howard that's the one that's getting to start there. And, and that's that's our projection that he's going to start. I, I'd be surprised otherwise. Uh, but certainly I don't want to necessarily rule anything out there. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about where it went wrong for K-State. Uh, we talked about what, how it went right for K-State offensively. The second half, there were some adjustments, I think, that were clearly made that, hey, you know, we're going to make Will Howard – really have to and I think some of it really comes back to to a little bit of the play calling we mentioned this off air it was some of the things that hey we're going to make Will Howard beat us with some reads here that he's going to have to make whether if it's reads in the run game or you know showing him some different looks that maybe we didn't show him in the first half uh you know maybe you can point at play calling uh and also you can point at um honestly just the offense going three and out three and out, or having these really short drives that just keep our defense on the field throughout. And then we just were never really able to establish any rhythm because once we got off the field after going three and out, uh, we weren't back out there for a while. So there's a lot of different ways you can kind of skin this cat in terms of picking where at what points to maybe show some blame at. Um, In terms of where maybe things went wrong, what, what jumps out to you? Well, you can tell TCU definitely keyed on the run in yeah, the second half, sure. and uh, they. I mean, to your point, you said earlier, well, that's some really nice keeps in the first half where yeah. we strung them out for 11, 12 yards, and I think that allowed our offense to gain momentum. They were daring us to throw the football. Yeah. They were keying on the run game. They bottled up with an injured deuce in the, in, in the second half. They were wanting Will Howard to beat us with our arm and dare us to make those calls, 
And I think to your point, for fear of maybe putting our defense in a bad position, we continue to run, and we weren't able to have the explosives. We've been an offense that have lived off explosive plays thus far in the season, yep. and we didn't execute to that. And and, and again, I we can all critique and be armchair quarterbacks of, of and coordinators of Colin Klein here. Um, it was working in the first half. I mean, I'm not a fan of Will's throwing motion. I think he throws ducks, but he was throwing them where they needed to be in the first half. And and if we could have continued that in some way, shape, or fashion, you know, maybe it's a different outcome at the end of the second half. But I, I really think that with some challenges with blocking, uh, for looking for replays, we had a lot of missed blocks in the second half that really negated our ability to, to hit those home runs or or at least drive sustaining plays. And, uh, and then ultimately, you know, with his injury, I think that was the true downfall of the second half. Yeah, once he once he left uh, for a few series with that shoulder, it appeared to be a shoulder injury, um, really comes in, throws an interception, and, and gets TCU set up with a short field. And then, you know, with when he came in, it was just, when Jake really got in the mix, it was such a limited playbook. It was like, we may as well just punt the ball on second down. Limited playbook, I mean, and if you thought that they were dialing in on the run with Will oh, Howard, yeah. they, they yeah. knew exactly what they were doing with him coming in. You know, and then once, I mean, there was a play in that second half, uh, and it is kind of late towards, I mean, and I, we'll get to this here a little bit later, but K-State's down 28-38, and, the, I mean, the wheels are kind of falling off for K-State. There's uh, a little over 10 minutes left, and... K-State's staring at a at a fourth and thirteen at their own forty-one. And they call a timeout. Or well, actually, I take that back. TCU calls a timeout. They they show out there to uh, to come out and, and run a play. TCU burns the timeout. And I thought K-State was gonna punt the ball after that. Uh, yep. got them to use a timeout, we'll punt it. Uh they decided to go for it. And and you know, Will Howard. We're dark from Will. That was to, to find Phillip Brooks there. And, you know, at that point. There's no point. There's no. I, I'm not going to throw a fit one way or the other. If they decide they want to punt it, fine. That whatever. But at that point, it, it seemed like you know we might get the ball with ten minutes left. We might get the ball back two more times, maybe three more times if we really tighten up, which we had not done. And we're going to get to the defense here in a little bit. But uh, K State's able to to get that drive down there. And uh, really kind of the the final death blow here for K-State was a Chris Tennant missed field goal from uh, 40 yards out. And, and that's a certainly a makeable field goal uh, for Chris Tennant. He missed another one um, kind of right there uh, at the um, on, on K-State's first drive of the, uh, uh, of the second half. That was really when momentum had kind of started to shift. I thought a big series, too. And this is, I'm kind of jumping all over here. I thought a big series was when K-State got the ball back um, in pretty good shape, right around 30-yard line or so. Big run from Deuce. Yeah, and it's 20-10 to 10 at this point here in the first quarter. And then, and then we go three and out and punt the ball back. TCU is able to go get a touchdown on that final drive right as kind of time expires. They get the touchdown. They get the ball coming out of half. They go down and score a touchdown. They go from being down twenty-eight to ten. Twenty-three. 20, it's twenty-three. And, and it to be a, uh, to be a 28-24 uh, uh, game just very quickly. Yeah. So we go down there. We miss a field goal. And the the I was not in Fort Worth, obviously. 
the wind was a factor. I, I think uh, that can be, uh, but hit his field, his forty-four yard field goal. That was close. It was and no, nowhere near. So I, I want to get here on this before we get into the defense. You can't have any faith in the kicking game going forward, really. I think from listening to Chris Kleiman's commentary from his press conference on Tuesday. About as down uh, in regards to his comments on any position group that we've heard. Someone that, you know, in my opinion, coddles certain position groups and sure. has been the utmost optimist when it came to players' abilities and performances, flat out saying that there's a kicking competition. Yeah. Invi- yeah. Inviting competition pretty much says all you need to know that that is completely shot. I think we, you know, we don't want to ruin a young kicker's, you know, mindset and, and confidence, but we are well past that. Yeah, and you know the thing is that's frustrating too is because you see some of the the I mean he the reviews on Chris Sennett is he has a strong leg but he, the accuracy has not been there and it, it's not uncommon I I don't think it's uncommon to say you know these kickers that are freshmen sophomores they come out here and they really struggle and then sometime eventually they get over that mental hurdle and they become better kickers I I think I saw somebody on KSO today talking about. How Jamie and Joe Ream, who started out at K-State, they started out terribly. And then they ended up actually being some of the better kickers in K-State's history. Um, you know, it, it's hard to I, I, it's hard to really get it, delve into the, the mindset of a kicker. But right now, I, I, would, I would be surprised if you see Chris Tennant out there on that first extra point or that first field goal attempt. It's, you're probably looking at Ty Zetter there. Yeah, I think you are. And, and I think that changes what, which, I mean, it should be changing your play calling. Oh, it absolutely. As should. it comes to third, third and longs, third, third and mids, you're probably going to be a little bit more aggressive, and and knowing that you're going to be going for it on fourth downs, if you're in that twenty to thirty five yard line, I you don't have confidence in Tenet, and I don't think you really have confidence in Zentner as far well, as sure. just knowing yeah. you know in terms of the amount of kicks he's had, and and I think he'd be fine in certain chip shot situations, but. Uh, I'm. It, it's definitely concerning moving forward, and, and I think we call this out. I think you and Dilu called out earlier on in the season that at some point this would bite us. Yeah. With some of the the challenges yeah. that we faced. You, you know, the short side option was the only person, only podcast out there talking about kicking. You know, no one else was. No, no one had the guts to say it. On but I did. Podcast, but I you. did. That's right. And you know, let's look at it here too, because Chris Tennant, no one else is covering this too. I, I can almost assure you, he did everything at Butler. Kickoffs, punting, and ties. Or ties. I said, did I say ties? Everyone. No, you said Tennant. Oh, Chris Tennant. No, excuse me. I I was I've gotten Ty Zetner and Ty Zimmerman uh, oh, almost come out of my mouth uh, several times. Speaking before. of great safety, my yes, could have used Ty Zimmerman. We could have. Right? We could have. But uh, Zetner at Butler Community College, he took care of the place kicking, punting, and kickoff duty. So he's used to a heavy role, and uh, I I heard some it's of his comments. He. Um, he embraces the opportunity. So, uh, something to keep an eye on there. All right. So, let's get into the defense. Now, this was a big part here for what, what – this time last week when, when Dilo and I are breaking it down here on the Short Side Option podcast, we're saying, yeah, you know, there's Quentin Johnston. Everyone's All-American out at wide receiver, and he's a great player. No, no, no question about Strong that. Strong name, great player, great hair. Yeah, and Max Duggan out there slinging it. He Gross. can do a good job. But uh, we said you really need to keep an eye on this TCU run game uh, with Kendra Miller. Uh, that's a guy that ran for 200, or, or excuse me, 29 carries for 
153 yards in two touchdowns. Kendra Miller uh, really was a guy that it didn't seem that we could bring down on the first shot hardly ever. Uh, there, there were very, and that's a credit to him. He's a really good running back. And this TCU team, for folks that maybe hadn't seen him a whole lot beforehand, you know. So Garrett Riley offense, yeah. uh, not too different from what we've seen at OU mm-hmm. under his yeah. brother. Uh, and uh, and for me, it's a kind of a change from what Sonny Dykes had run at SMU and yeah. where it was run and gun, pure spread, like run and shoot, way more balanced the yeah. this season with that Riley offense. And I listening to you and Dealey last week, that was something that I, I think we all called out, knew that that was going to be an option, and, and that really killed us in the second half of their time of possession. Well, we saw it too a little bit against Texas Tech and Oklahoma, where. You know, KC had struggled with stopping their their run game, and for whatever reason, both those offenses seemed to get away from it at times. Uh, TCU did not. They ran the ball for uh, they ran the ball for uh, two hundred and fifteen yards, which you say, okay, that's not that's not great, but or that but I mean, it's not like they ran for four hundred yards. They ran the ball fifty six times for. Under four yards of carry, but the running game was what was most effective for him because really they marched down they, the field. They marched down the field. I mean, when you see, like, if you ask somebody and, and you say in the K State TCU game this Saturday, one team's going to have thirty-eight minutes of time possession, the other team's team's going to have twenty-two. Which would you say would, would be the thirty-eight? Oh, K State. Most people would be saying K State. The 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 script was flipped there uh, a little bit, and it looked like in the second half that the K-State offense was hardly ever on the field. That's because they, they hardly were. And uh, they were able to get in those really third and manageable situations. And, I mean, and TCU goes for nearly 500 yards of total offense, so the running game and the, the passing game were, were, were both complementary there, but... K-State got beat up a little bit I uh, think. on the defensive line as well as uh, the linebacking core. In, in I think a game like can, this, I think that, that, that's a bad one to have it happening. I think as soon as uh, Daniel Deuce Green uh, exited the game at the end of the second quarter, uh, there's some gamesmanship there, and they targeted that. Uh, yeah. Uh, as much as Nick Allen and, and Bo Palmer, uh, I think everyone figured out who Bo Palmer was on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, they keyed on our linebackers and they ran A gap, B gap, and they were getting pretty much whatever they wanted. And, yeah. and I think there was injuries along the defensive line too. Felix missed some time. Um, and then once Duke was ejected in the second half uh, yeah. for targeting, uh, that's, uh, again, it, when that floodgate opened, they were not about to take their foot off the gas. And, and it really... Aside from a critical fourth down stop that the Cats had, I think that yeah. there could have been more points that, that they you know, could have Yeah, you know, and, and you look at what TCU did offensively uh, in that game. They, they were seemingly, every single time that they, you know, they have first to ten, it, it's handed off to Kendra Miller, and there were several times where it looks like, oh, this should be a one- or two-yard game, or maybe even behind the line. Second and four. Second or th- th- or you know second and four or you know second and one and they're and they're getting really advantageous situations. Inexperienced linebackers, inexperienced secondary guys are having to play. Josh Hayes had timeout. Uh, Julius Brents is so you're you're bringing in guys that are right off the bench, missing tackles. Uh, T.J. Smith had some pretty big whiffs, but again, it's they 
they were taking their chance on the ground, and it was and it was a gamble that paid off. And, and not even just necessarily on the ground. K State had some really good opportunities, and, I'm, and this is where I'm going to get into the last kind of the last pillar here of this wrap up is just how close K State was in several different instances here in this game. Yeah, Kate. We have, yeah uh, at the start of the third quarter, you've got um, you've got um, TCU backed up third and seventeen. They get a screen pass that that they're br- missing tackles, breaking tackles uh, to where they're able to punch it in for that first touchdown on that drive of the of the, uh, of the third quarter. You know, you have them in a situation where they're either going to have to. Really attempt, um, and I believe they were in field goal range at that time um, on that play. Or no, they were not. They were. They, it would have had to been a, been a punt unless they would have really tried a, a very long field goal after maybe picking up, you know, seven, eight, nine yards um, on that, especially with the wind there. But when you've given up those plays in the screen game, missing tackles, a couple penalties that uh, also you know helped out TCU in that. But then you look at uh, sincere Mason almost had an interception. Uh, Jacob Parrish almost had an interception. Will Howard, right off the fingertips uh, of uh, Cade Warner, who made a spectacular catch earlier in the game. There's usually in these games, there's really not a whole lot that really takes place in terms of oh that this team was just clearly the better team. There were the opportunities there for K State. Unfortunately, not able to come up with it, with any of those. I think if you look back at just a microcosm of play that summed up this entire game was the. Long touchdown pass to, to Quentin Johnston where yeah. Julius Brents stride for stride pulls up with a hammy and then uh, and then the underthrown pass that in a in a normal situation I think you can easily say is an interception yeah safety coming over looked like offensive push off um, on the secondary receiver it just it summed up the game as far yeah. as injuries just being a something that hinders for this game and I think as we lean into the the conversation here for Oklahoma State really kind of sets the stage for. A make or break point in K State season. Yeah, that touchdown to Johnson. That's a great. That's a great, great point by you there, Quinn. Is that you know we have a guy there with Brents. He pulls up with with a hamstring. Uh, so now you're thinking, oh, it's a for sure a touchdown. Well, we have another guy because there are two receivers in the same area, and it, Josh Hayes just isn't able to to yeah, to, to make up. a play there, and he gets pushed into. And I was looking for the flag there. No flag to come. So. Uh, anything else you want to you, you want to mention here on TC before we, we get into Oklahoma State? Let's turn the page icon. Turn the page. That's a great Bob Seger song. One of my favorites, actually. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that. Maybe we can get that thrown in here into the uh, into the uh, to the, the the soundtrack here for the short side option. But either way, we turn the page. It's Oklahoma State. They come into uh, to Bill Snyder Family Stadium, a point and a half underdog. Believe it or not, K State favored in this one uh, over the uh, the Cowboys. It's a two thirty kickoff on Fox, and you know as as we mentioned uh, with what K State has uh, with some injuries, uh, Daniel Green likely going to be out for this one. Game time decisions as yeah. listed today, both Daniel Green and Adrian Martinez. I think smart money is on both of them not playing. Yeah, I, and that and that's what I'm. That's kind of the, under the assumption I'm operating on. I it just I think that they're going to err on the side of caution. And with with Adrian Martinez in this situation, you know, yeah, gosh, I I feel like yeah, I I don't know if I feel comfortable enough with Will Howard playing quarterback, but I think we do. Like I think K State 
feels comfortable. The collective we does. I no. think the people in this room do not. Not. No. Yes. I would agree with that. But apparently, that's why we're not the ones making the decisions, I guess. So anyway, we're being... We're prognosticators. Up. We're prognosticators. That's right. That's all we can ask for. Um, but, you know, we're, we're banged up. Oklahoma State's banged up. They've been banged up for some time. And unfortunately for them, they had their bye week like the third week of the season. And so they're going to be playing the gauntlet here without any sort of bye weeks here throughout the remainder of, of a conference play. And, you know, you've got a couple guys, Johnson, Bray, uh, uh, Richardson out there on the offensive side that are, that are going to be questionable. I mean, you can go up and down their, their lineup uh, with, um, with, with, with defensive and offensive players that are going to be out. Spencer Sanders has been playing hurt for seemingly the last three or four weeks. Uh, the, both teams come in here. A little wounded, a little weary, well, a little war weary uh, from what they've already seen so far in, the, in Big Twelve play, and I think really with what the the nature of this game is going to come down to is it might just come down to who's left standing uh, here by the end of the game. You know, I think that's a good call out, Icon. And one call out specifically for Oklahoma State's injuries, they played most of the Texas game with true freshman receivers. Yeah, and they stepped up. Yeah, in they the did. Game. So they did. I. I would say that you know, our injuries, you know, proven to maybe be a little bit more longstanding with our more veteran players that uh, we saw in the second half of the TCU game led to some pretty challenging situations for us. So, again, something to monitor. I, I don't know how Sanders' shoulder is still hanging yeah, on. Yeah, and that's the thing. the past few games. Against Texas, he – I mean, Texas is knowing that he's – a wounded duck out there a little bit. Well, there was rumors coming out of Vegas on Friday night that he wasn't playing. No, was, yeah. Well, yeah. there were rumors that he wasn't going to play against TCU, possibly. And um, he, he he grits it out and goes out there and plays. But, you know, Texas really beat him up, too. I mean, they. I, I was watching that game, and I was texting, uh, I was texting Drew, actually, and I said, that I don't know how, how if Sanders is going to make it through this game. I mean, like, there were a couple times where he just gets lit Little, I think DeMarion Overshone just crushed him one time. Um, but I'll tell you what, it's a credit to Spencer Sanders and it's a credit to Oklahoma State and it's a credit to Mike Gundy. Well, probably also to their medical staff too for whatever yeah. they injected into that shoulder. Yeah, I, but they, they have a team that is tough as nails. And yeah. they, they are, they're like scrap metal. You can, you can twist them as much as you want, but they're, they're going to keep their shape there and they're going to they're gonna, you know, be there all day. I look at this as a matchup. Where do you have a difference? In, I think the difference maker here is the quarterback position. I mean, you've got you've got Spencer Sanders, who as beat up as he is, he's an all-conference type performer. You've got Will Howard on the other hand, who is making his only his second game of the season here, uh, in still possibly a redshirt season for him, which is hard to believe. But uh, anyway, um, we look at it here, and I look at what Oklahoma State wants to do defensively against K-State. Let's look at that first. If K-State's going to have success against this Oklahoma State defense, what does that look like? And I look at this Oklahoma State defense, and last year, a top 10, maybe top 5 defense in the country. Uh, You would probably tell me, between them and Baylor last year, that, those are those are that's why those two teams were playing in the conference championship last year. I don't think there's any question about that. This year, they're really struggling. They they're in conference play. They've given up 504 yards per game, and uh, they're giving up an average of almost six yards a play. So this is a defense that 
lost a lot. Jim Knowles, of course, goes and takes the Ohio State defensive coordinator job. They bring in Derek Mason, previously the head coach of Vanderbilt, and, you know, he left the sinking ship at Auburn just in time. Uh, and uh, he Former he's, defensive coordinator at Stanford under yep, the, the, uh, the, the, what I would say, the last great reign of, of David Shaw's tenure there. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at what this Oklahoma State defense is, it, to me it's a defense that is not as solid and when I say solid, a team that would just kind of play their base defense and say, you know what, we're better than you. Uh, we're going to run our base stuff. And we're going to be able to, to take you out of what you want to do offensively. This Oklahoma State defense, much more opportunistic in, in sending extra pressure, whether it's five or six guys. No, I think they built up a program of consistency. And regardless yep. of Jim Noel leaving, and you can look at the stats – their defense bowed up in that Texas mm-hmm. game over the week. So they I, made the plays when they needed to. They made plays. They've got a gritty group of you know defensive linemen that have caused havoc in the Big Twelve. And, and I know that they at one point were were leading the Big Twelve in sacks. Even you know I, I think Brock Martin's going to miss time for them this week. But I think that it's going to come down to us on offense on how we can establish it, that run pass ability and consistency um, and keeping our defense off the field. So. Um, I, I've got a lot of respect for what Gundy's built there, and, and I think that that defense is going to be one that's showing up with a win coming after a win against Texas, knowing that their fate of potentially getting to the Big 12 title game is still very much alive. Yeah, and you know, the loser of this game still has a chance to get to Arlington. It would it would take it would require them to win the rest of their games because I mean, honestly, with as tough as the Big 12 is this year, I mean. Shoot, if K-State wins this game, they got the, the, their reward is getting Texas, Texas coming off of a bye week. Yep. So, I mean, that's uh, it, it, the hits just keep coming here in the Big 12. Uh, but the winner of this game, really in the catbird seat, uh, because TCU still got to navigate a, a certain portion of their schedule that uh, looks to be you know somewhat challenging. Uh, I know that game against uh, Baylor a little bit later on could be Texas. interesting. Uh, there's still plenty of we've plenty seen, of football to be played. We've seen Iowa State give oh, I mean, yeah. take Texas to the brink here two weeks ago, and so I think anyone that still has to play a Baylor Iowa State on their schedule down in the back half, where injuries were probably going to be accumulating, getting the back yeah. end, uh, is not something that I would want to be hanging my hat. No, on. there and there's just no there's no easy easy out in the Big Twelve this year, and, and it, it it speaks to the level of, of playing the con- in the conference as a whole. Now, for what K State might be able to do to have success against this Oklahoma State defense, you know, we mentioned a little bit Oklahoma State's defense not as good as it used to be, uh, but still has that program DNA of being able to, you know, make the plays when they need to. And uh, is a defense that's going to be coming in here a little bit battered and a little bit bruised, of course. What does K-State have to do successfully on offense? I think I know where this starts for me. I'm curious where it starts for you. For me, it's about the run game. Run fits in our offensive line. Uh, looking back to the TC film and even dating back to the Iowa State game prior to the bye, We've we've seen some play here out of our offensive line that you know we're not accustomed to seeing from our Connor Riley coached unit against an Oklahoma State. You have to be sound in your technique and discipline with how you block. And in order for us to to keep Oklahoma State on their heels and not be putting eight guys in the box and and stopping our quarterback run game, we've got to be able to to effectively block this D line. And so for me, I think it all starts up front. Uh, I've been as critical as anyone about. 
our center playing with Hayden Gillum and Panzer breaking in a new guard. This is a, a pretty big game for them to be able to step up in order for Will Howard to, to not be scrambling and, and patting the ball, being nervous. We've got to be able to create a, a pretty good pocket for him. Yeah, so that's exactly where I'm starting at, too, uh, is, is the run game. And especially offensive line has to dominate the line of scrimmage. I thought the offensive line, you can look at it through the first half. I thought they played maybe one of their best halves of the season last week against TCU. Um, when you look at what Oklahoma State's going to do, I'll be very interested to see how they come out this game. Do they come out guns blazed and say, hey, yeah, we're going to be bringing six, five, five and six guys from literally the first half of the game until the last half. That was the story last year. Yeah, and and we're just going to say, you know what? Maybe you'll beat us on a throw down the field. Maybe you'll be able to sneak Deuce Vaughn out of the backfield, and he'll make be able to make a few guys miss. Uh, so I look for a couple of different things with that being the case. If that is the case with o- Oklahoma State really committing numbers to – either just loading up the box or, or bringing guys on, on in pressure situations. I look for K-State to be able to utilize the screen game a little bit, whether if it's with Deuce Vaughn uh, or just you know the wide receiver action out there. I will tell you this. We have not seemingly ran a, a screen to Deuce Vaughn, I don't think, all year. And uh, I don't know if we have that even in the playbook, to be a thousand percent sure. When was the last time we ran the jet sweep to Malik? Was the last one the touchdown against South Dakota? I mean, even well, he, I think Malik has lost his spot in the, uh, as the jet sweep man. I think that's been taken by Cade Warner. Uh, I know he's been getting in the mix there on, on a couple of jet sweeps. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Maybe we have that card up our sleeve here for this week. But you know, I look at what K State's going to have to do to be able to have an aggressive defense like that. It does present you some opportunities offensively, whether if it's in the screen game, draw game, uh, whether if it's with, um, you know, you have to be you have to be very judicious with how you want to operate out of that. You have to get it out. You have to make him defend the field out wide. You have to make him defend it, you know, in the middle of the field too. So, I think the screen game, draw game, just swinging it out to do spot if you catch him in, in the right look where they're blitzing guys off the right and he's swinging out to the left, you might only have to get one quick seal on a guy and you might be off to the races. So being in those kind of situations, I'll be interested to see what K-State, how Oklahoma State comes up against them defensively because if they do commit extra guys there, there are going to be some opportunities for Kansas State. I know every week there's eyes on Colin Klein. And again, like I've said, people are critical as play calling. I'm curious to see what position he puts Will in. If the defense is aggressive, Will we move the line of scrimmage? Will we yeah, pull him out? Yeah, more? exactly. Oh, and, and again, that's you know, if we're continuing to pass and looking for that short to intermediate passing game, I'm I think that's going to be a huge part of our success if we win this game. Is are we putting him in a position to be successful? If we ask Will to go out and be Michael Bishop or to go out and and be a gunslinger, I don't think that's going to yield the result that we want. No. But uh, but again, I, I I'm curious to see what we do here. And, and again, our our eggs are in that basket, and we're, we've got to support it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what that looks like. Offensive line, I think this is the biggest game. Uh, they're, they're the ones that really have the keys for this game. Uh, I also want to point to, now let, let's flip sides of the ball here. Let's go to defense. Uh, defense, I think, is going to be relatively healthy outside of Daniel Green. And, and that's a big guy to have missing out of that. And, you know, Nick Allen. Bo, Bo Palmer lost for the season. Oh, Bo Palmer lost for the season. That's Inside inside scoop there, uh, uh, but um, we look here at um, 
We look here at what K-State's got at the linebacker position. Austin Moore has played at a really good level. Nick Allen's going to be the guy stepping up there. Um, that's going to be playing the lion's share of snaps. Jake Clifton, uh, you know, who got some run earlier in the season. Uh, Gavin Forche probably also going to get some some mix there at the linebacking position. This is a group right now that if you look at it from just a, a thirty thousand foot view, not what we envision this linebacking crew looking at. Where's Will Honus at? Where's Daniel Green at? Well, Will Honus never, never never got on the field here. Brandon because, Jennings. Yeah, Brandon Jennings. Yeah, if you want to go back that far, um, maybe does a guy like. Uh, Crew Jackson maybe get in the mix. I I don't know. It's it, I think at this point it's going to be a little bit of an all hands on deck guy. You know I wouldn't honestly be surprised if you see a guy like I wouldn't be surprised if you see Kobe Savage drop down in the box and play a linebacker. T.J. Smith. T.J. Smith drop down. I mean you at this point you're becoming a little bit short handed. Uh, to where I remember against and this is during the COVID season of course, but in that last game of the season against Texas, we had uh, Elijah Sullivan playing line or uh, playing safety. For us, because we we had nobody to play back there. So um, one of the I think one of the comments today out of Klanerman is mentioning that Austin Moore is going to have to go the distance. Oh yeah, uh, if you will. So I, I think if anything that shows our hand that middle linebacker. If it, I, I'm making assumptions here, but he called out specifically Austin Moore going the distance, and then specifically Jake Clifton and um, and I think Gavin Forche as well, saying that. Those are guys that got a lot more reps this week, and yeah. And so again, I don't know. Nick Allen had, you know, I think in the stat box had quite a few tackles, but pretty key situations last week where it was pretty obvious they were keying on the backer, and we're gonna we're gonna have to be assignment sound, have guys shedding blocks, and being able to make tackles. And to this point, the machine Austin Moore has been, I would say, probably our best linebacker. But yeah, I, I would I would say that too. But I but I think people forget just the absolute force that Daniel Green has been, um, and I think we found that out pretty quickly in the second half against TCU. You know, so let's talk about what Oklahoma State has in terms of a couple guys to watch uh, offensively for him. Spencer Sanders, uh, he's been around the league now for for long enough. I think most K State fans are pretty darn familiar with him. Um, so far in the year, fifteen touchdowns to four interceptions already. Eclipse the 2,000-yard mark. Um, okay, so one thing I wanted to mention, and something I'm going to be keeping my eye on, keeping my eye on here. Uh, special teams? No, not even special teams. <laughs> now, that, that could be a whole other issue right there. But So Oklahoma State, they throw the, the fade, and they just throw the sideline go route. I would say almost more than any college football team in in in, in America. With blind faith, yeah. Sanders just like it, it, it. it's just a it's just a catch the ball snap one step toss and you know K State having Julius Brents, Echo Boy do I think two of the better cornerbacks in the Big Twelve. I I don't really see it's not like this Oklahoma State team has. I mean, Brent Presley I think is their best wide receiver. Um, John Paul Richardson has been the recipient of some big catches for yeah. them, a name that I did not know coming yeah. into the season. The, the, you have the list of skill players there. It's not what we've been used to seeing. Both of the Presley brothers are, are impressive. Uh, yeah. I would agree with you on that comment. But it, they've been breaking in some, some younger guys that, again, talent is not an issue there. They've been able to recruit at a high level. It's next man up um, when you look at the wide receiver core. Yeah, and, and they're going to test K State early and often with those with those kind of shot balls, and and it's not an overly high efficient play. It's not. I mean, it, 
when Spencer Sanders is completing less than 60% of his passes, I mean, I, I don't know how many of those of his 262 attempts on the season are those. I mean, it's obviously not half of them. It's probably not even 15% of them. But it's enough of them to where they take enough of those shots during the game that you don't need to hit on all of them. You just need to hit on two or three because those can change the game. Yep. Because oftentimes they're not just a you know a ten yard completion. They're a, a 30, 40, maybe a touchdown that that uh, if they break a tackle they they can go the distance. So K State's defensive backs, whether it's Julius Brents, Echo Boydo, Omar Daniels, Heck, Josh Hayes, they're gonna Jacob Parrish. Yeah, Jacob Parrish is gonna be tested. They're going to find those matchups that they like, and I think the ultimate part of this game. Is is K State's been able to really kind of limit the big play in in, a, in most circumstances? There was really the one big play that uh, you know I think it was Ray che- or, uh, Cheatham gets beat, um, Drake Cheatham gets beat in uh, in man coverage where TCU is able to score in that first play of the game or first their first drive of the game mm-hmm. and. Other than that, K-State's done a pretty decent job of keeping things in front of them. That's going to be a big factor on Saturday because if they're not able to stop the Oklahoma State running game, which Oklahoma State doesn't run the ball super effectively, I think this is a situation where uh, that, that K-State defensive backfield is going to be tested. I think something that, you know as you monitor going later into the season, our ability to get stops is going to be critical uh, with injuries mounting and, and the longer your defense is on the field, I think that's where you know that bend but not break kind of mentality kind of goes out the window when you don't have the players on the field. And so uh, I agree with you. I think corners are going to be tested. Oklahoma State's not going to change from that offensive philosophy. I think that they've proven that whoever the OC is, they they keep their their foot on the throttle uh, whenever it comes to pushing the ball down the field. So. Uh, I'm anticipating some big plays, both either offensive or defensive, when it comes to their play calling. Um, anything else you want to add here before we, we get to prediction time? Now, I will say this, too. Uh, I mean, you you brought it up. I think you're just trying to give me some grief about the kicking game. You know, I mean, I, I'm the only one that has the guts to talk about it. And Oklahoma State, uh, they've got... Uh, Tanner Brown that does their kicking for him. And he made a couple big kicks against Oklahoma State, uh, or against uh, Texas here just last week. Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to be – I don't want to beat a, a dead horse here, but it's a huge concern going forward. And I, I don't want to uh, make it a bigger deal than it needs to be, but – I mean, when we look at Tanner Brown here, 14 out of 15 on the season from field goal, made every extra point. So, um, yeah, it's going to be uh, – if it comes down to where K-State's, you know, kicking to tie the game, uh, kicking anything inside 40 yards, you just are holding your breath. I mean, and Oklahoma State has, has a clear advantage there. Uh, in a game that the oddsmakers feel is going to be within a, a single possession – uh, within within a field goal, uh, if you will, uh, it, it's a huge part of the game. So that's a that's a a, a checkbox that you have to you have to check for Oklahoma State there, no question about it. So I, I think I got I just kind of took that one all by myself. Yeah. Yeah. You have anything else to add on that one? Nothing else to add. I, I do think it's important to um, are we, we going to be watching our our 
putt block situation like yes. some other prognosticators yes. as well. You know, the monitoring of Seth Porter's punt blocking prowess, that's all I've been doing this whole week. That's all I've been monitoring. I've, I've been curious how you've gotten any work done this it, week. Don't, don't tell anyone, but the, the work has been a little bit light. Uh, the, that that punt blocking doesn't monitor itself, folks. Uh, let's just let's just leave it at that. So, Quinn, it's time for a prediction here, buddy. Uh, now, Dell not able to join us in the studio this week. He did come to me with a prediction of 24-17 Oklahoma State. He thinks K-State has no chance in this game. Is what he is is what he's telling me right there. It's awfully sad and bad. Uh, yeah. If you ask me. Dell says that that even K-State shouldn't even bother showing up in this game. That's uh, so I, I take that for what you will. I guess I can step right in. Uh, I'll go ahead and give my official score prediction here. Icon, 27-24 Cats. And a bit of an upset, if you will, uh, with a Will Howard-led team. So uh, I, I know that in my mind, I everything in every gut instinct in my, in my body, Icon tells me that Quentin, the Cats aren't going to win. Adrian Martinez is hurt. Deuce Green is hurt. I think we're going to see some magic in Manhattan this Saturday. I think the Cats pull out a 27-24 win. You know, you've watched College Game Day a few times in your in your life, haven't you? I may have. You know, this reminds me of a, a situation where you know Lee Corso's up there giving his prediction. He's like, "Wait a minute, K State's not ha- doesn't have their best linebacker and, and probably not going to have their starting quarterback." Well, of course Oklahoma State should win this game, but K State's favored by one and a half points. Somebody knows something. Brett Musburger knows something. I'm going to go with this. I'm signing with the somebodies. I'm taking Kansas State in this game 31-28. How about that? What do we think of that? 31-28, Kansas State. No, not late. Chris Tennant's field goal on this one. To, 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 the Ty Zender field goal? No, no, no. No, late, no, uh, no last second field goal uh, dramatics for K-State. But I've got K-State 31-28. You've got them 27-24. Uh, Dell's taking uh, Oklahoma State 24-17. So that, that wraps it up here for the Oklahoma State uh, preview and the Texas Christian review. You know what, folks? We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with you to answer your questions in our Ask the Icon segment. It's the Icon. It's Q filling in for Dell. This is the short side option. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Uh, this is time for my favorite segment. Yeah, you know, this, from what I've understood, this is most people's favorite segment. I, I think people probably just skip through the first hour of this and are going yeah, they just, straight they, to the chase. They just, let's, let's hear what the icon has to say, huh? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I'm here. Yeah, there you go. I just want to hear it in person. All right. So I've got the first question here for you, Icon. Who is this week's Wildcat legend? This week's Wildcat legend, well, folks, no Wildcat legend this week. No Dell. That's his thing. I, it would it would be it would be wrong, it would be wrong, for me to step in there. So when Dell gets back in due time, there will be Wildcat legends, and not a moment sooner. I can tell you care a lot about him. Yes, I can, I can feel that in your voice. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, no question. Yeah, I I don't think Dell's getting Wally Pipped here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. No. He'll be back next. He'll be week. back. He'll be back. No question about that. All right, on to the next question. If each of the quarterbacks that played against TCU were a style of beer, what would they be? Well, a style of beer or a single kind of or like I, I almost think of a, a brand. So like, well, and I feel bad because Rubley 
He didn't really have much of a chance, did he? Um, all right, so AM, I'm going to say, kind of came in a little bit beat up. Um, but I would say a nice, I'd say a nice hoppy, like an India IPA. Got a little bit of punch behind them. You know, a little bit of a dual threat action. A little bit of run, a little bit of pass. Um, Will, I would say, um, gosh, you know, he's kind of a big stout guy. Huh? What do you think about it? A boxy fella. Yeah, what, what do you think about a nice stout beer? Like a nice uh, milky stout beer. How about that? And then for Jake Rubley, a lager. <laughs> amber lager. <laughs> nice amber lager. How about that? Huh? So that, that that's what I have to go with there. Okay. I was going to say Adrian Martinez maybe a shot of whiskey because he went down pretty quick there. But yeah, that's a decent way of looking at it. That's not but, bad. But no, I, not I, like, I like that. Next question. If you were only allowed to consume products from one animal the rest of your life, which one would you choose? Don't forget to take eggs and milk into account. No question, it's a cow. There's no, I mean, there's no, there's no question here. There was only one answer. It was always the cow. It was always the cow. It was never the chicken. Thank you for your service, by the yes, way. Yes, of course. Of course. I mean, you got to get a nice ribeye steak in there. You get your, you get your, um, get your brisket. You get your milk. I mean, what, well, what, you can't choose a chicken, obviously. That's, I guess maybe I the real question is what's next? What's number two? Personally, I would probably say pork. I'd say it's the pig. There's a guy that can appreciate a, a good slice of bacon. Yeah. And then you could have... The pig ears for the dogs. Now, you know what I think? I don't know. You can't really go there. Underrated? I, I'm telling you what. I take the turkey before the chicken. Huh. Because I, but then, well, actually, you probably have to take the chicken because you do, do get the eggs. I do like eggs, but they're so far down on the list. It's not even. It's not. Well, I've never had turkey eggs before. I think they're fine. Maybe I'll try. Little Beamer special to yeah. gobble. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I, I've never had turkey eggs. Huh? I didn't even know that those were. I mean, obviously they're things. It's probably high class, like quail eggs. And yeah, such. something must be. I've had quail before, so. Anyway, good question there from Steve. He always does a really nice job here on, on, the, on the short side option. Next question from Nashville Nick. Hey, Icon, what are some of your favorite K-State Halloween weekend games from the past? Also, any chance Bill Snyder Family Stadium breaks out some stadium flashy lights for this game? Or would that be too scary? Oh, that would be way too scary. I, I don't like the flashing lights. But there are these, there is the opportunity because... The game takes late enough. It takes place late enough. In terms of like favorite Halloween games, you know, Halloween and uh, K State home games often typically coincide with homecoming, and this is of course homecoming uh, for Kansas State against Oklahoma State um, here. So, in terms of a game that maybe sticks out to me, I remember one game that took place right around this time, and I saw it actually pop up uh, here just recently on, on Twitter. Was uh, a game that kind of. Like, it was not a close game, but it was an awesome game to be at because it was just a dominating K-State win. It was the 2013 West Virginia game where uh, there was the unfortunate event there where the, the Mountaineer gets hit at halftime and has, like, an epileptic episode, which effectively got rid of that pregame skit. But uh, that, I remember that game was just a beautiful day, and we dominated. Like, I want to say we won by... 24 plus points at least. And uh, that one comes to mind. 
I'm trying to think. Last year, I don't. Last year we kind of had a tough stretch. We were playing, I think, uh, Iowa State, and um, well, because we played Iowa State and then we played um, Baylor, Baylor and Oklahoma. That were kind of. I think Iowa State was the last of those. Uh, that was kind of right around the same time. So, in terms of uh, some home games around this time of year that uh, that stick out to me, that that for whatever odd reason that West Virginia game does in 2013. But this is a great time of year to have have, have some good football going on. Um, I'll be down in Aggieville on Friday night, and that's what I'm really looking forward to that because game one of the World Series. I've often said that kites is one of the best baseball watching bars in America. And I, I look forward to be doing that on, on, on Friday night there. This is a part of the Ask the Icon question, but what's your go-to order at Kites when you're sitting there? It's got to be the Big Kiter. No question about it. Okay. Either that or the Chicken Fingers. They're also very good. Personally, I'm a big fan of the Chicken Fingers. I was actually with Nashville Nick for the Missouri game. Chicken fingers. Oh, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. Now, he, he did ask about the lights. and I, I, I answered that to begin with, but just to go back, yes, way too scary. No, no lights. I'm not a fan of the lights either. No. No, leave the lights off. Or on. Turn them off. Turn them off, leave them on. I don't care. Just don't turn them off and on. It, it's just too much. You know how much the electrical bill would be for that? Yeah, and that's bad on the light bulbs. Bad on the bulbs. I've, I've heard that from some people at one point in my life or another. People I would trust. If they're, yeah. if they're telling to the icon, yeah. uh, it's a valuable source of information. Yes, absolutely. All right. Let's jump into the next question here from Trim at Trim Go Emoff. I've long, be, I've long been angered by fullback, halfback terminology. Typical formation. The quarterback is quarter of the way back from the line. The big blocker is halfway back. The smaller ball carrier is fully back. Icon, do you support reversing, correcting the halfback, fullback terms? Um, well, you know, then you have te- teams like Nebraska for a number of years that didn't recall their, their halfback. The halfback, they called him the eyeback. This further comp- further uh, confounding, uh, you know, the five folks out there watching their football games. So, yes, change it. Enough is enough. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Leave it to the bug eaters to bring yes, in that kind of and concept. It, so, you know, Trim bringing a, a new item here to the, to the podcast here, keeping us thinking, keeping us on our toes here on the short side option. All right. Next question for the icon comes from Tyler H. Icon. Boxers or briefs? How about you, Dell? Well, no Dell here, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but I kind of am right in the middle here. I'm a boxer brief man. So I guess a little bit of both. I mean, tough to say. You're a renaissance man. I am. I, I do it all. I do it all. Another question here from Tyler. Icon, over or under 1.5 quarterbacks taking meaningful snaps for the Cats on Saturday. Where would you okay? So if that's the line, one and a half, as set by by Tyler H. There, um, if the line set at one and a half, what would you? What would the juice be on over? What would the juice be on on under? Because I don't think it's an even minus one ten each way. Of course, I think obviously the I don't over, think you're getting juice with the over. I think they know with Will Howard being hurt last week. Uh, and with Adrian Martinez, if he does play at some point, I, I don't think he's running the the entire gauntlet. I think. You you, you seem to think that there's gonna see we're gonna see two. I do, Icon. But this isn't an Ask the Q series. 
People don't care what I have to say. I want to hear what you have to say about this. I think that's an interesting point because, man, like Will Howard has been usually relatively sturdy. Like he hasn't came out of many games. I mean, he last week, of course, he left against Oklahoma State last year. He left. Um, you know, I, I guess if I had to, if I had to make a pick there, I would honest. I'm going to take the under. Um, on that, I think Will Howard probably goes uh, goes the distance here. Now, I don't say that with a whole lot of confidence. I want to be be be. Uh, but you're going to get the juice behind it, though. Yeah, I'm going to get. I'm going to be. I'm going to be picking up some juicy, uh, some juicy big there. So yeah, you know, and the thing is too is Oklahoma State probably the smart money would be on the over just because the way we run our offense, the way we run our offense, and also with how aggressive Oklahoma State is, they're going to be. You know, get into the mix there a little bit. With, Colin Klein uh, has no regard for his quarterbacks. Well, being as as the icon, Bill Snyder himself didn't have any regard. Yeah, for as him. a legend, uh, of course, no question. Now, I I look at what. Do you think? I mean, honestly, if Colin Klein got down there in pads, I don't even know if he could fit into a jersey anymore. He that guy is skin and bones. I think he could wear Brandon Banks's uniform. I'm a little point. worried about him. He needs to get on cheese. He looks emaciated. Maybe he's up on Bill's. He, he uh, ro- roasted or stewed vegetables and Taco Bell diet. Yeah, and maybe just in 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 uh, uh, some nice coffee out of a out of a styrofoam cup. I'm, uh, I'm he needs to eat some of his wife's cobbler. Yes, the, pe- the peach cobbler. <laughs> it was always the peach cobbler. It was, it was it was always the peach cobbler. Right. Absolutely. But we move on here to the next question. And from, I believe our final last one. I believe so. This is a doozy coming in from Justin. Hello, Icon. If our expectation is that Kansas State hits 10 wins every so often, is Saturday's game a must-win? Our last 10-win season was 2012. If we miss 10 this year, do we reach 10 wins by 2025? So, let's look at that. Well, to to answer that question, I count only regular season wins in in, in the the 10-win thing. So, I mean, if K-State loses this week, yeah, they can't get to 10 wins this year because... They not possible. Not possible. They just, it just it's just not possible. They're, they're out of games. So uh, to answer that part, yes, Saturday's game is a must win if we want to get to ten wins. Um, now if the second part is interesting. He asked if K State can get to ten wins by twenty twenty five, and that's really tough to say, right? Because it's hard to look at what the landscape landscape is, but. So let's let's just use our let's look into our crystal ball here. So 2025, that would be Avery Johnson's third year on campus. Uh, maybe whether if he's a true true junior or maybe a redshirt sophomore. Will Howard's ninth by that point. Yeah, now. yeah. Will Howard, he he might be on, he might be offensive coordinator by this point. You never you never can tell. Uh, but uh, anyway, what I would say here. Is you also have to look in, in, into what the the Big Twelve is going to look like at that point. By that by the twenty twenty five season, Oklahoma Texas are out. The new guys are in, and you're you're playing in a league that I don't know if really much changes from what you see maybe this year because OU and Texas not great, uh, but there's really no there's really no gimmies in this league as we've seen. And um, I think that only gets further enhanced when you add in programs like Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, and BYU. 
So really, when you look at it, I mean, I think the the the, the exciting thing about the new Big Twelve is it's so, going to be so wide open in the next ten years from let's say twenty twenty five to twenty thirty five. In that next ten years, you might have six or seven programs that have won a conference title by that point. I, I don't think that would surprise anybody uh, necessarily. So you is it would it be unreasonable to say oh Houston's got one, K State's got two. Iowa State got in the mix for one. Let's let's. Uh, no. I just had to make sure you were I know. listening. I, I was had to listening. Make sure, I had to make sure you were listening. There's no way Iowa State gets to ten wins before we do. It's physically not possible. Yeah, I just had to make sure you were listening, yeah. Quinn. I you just gotta keep you on your toes, big guy. Uh, now I look at that, but I, the point is though, is could Texas Tech get get, get it rolling? Yeah, sure. Could, sure. T- could TCU get it rolling? Could sure. Baylor? Could Baylor? Absolutely. So there's a lot of different options. I think in terms of what, uh, to, to answer Justin's question in a very long way, I'd say, yeah, I think that there's no there's no uh, question that Kansas State could get to 10. I do think this is our best chance of, of getting to 10 uh, this year, was this year. Granted, you lost a game that you probably shouldn't have to Tulane. Maybe you won a, a game that maybe you shouldn't have in the first three games of conference play. But uh, K-State's in, in pretty good shape. I, I think that uh, that they're, they're a program headed in the right direction. No, I can agree with that. I think for this season, 10 wins you know, is obviously a barometer for success, but I think more importantly for us, finding a way to get to Arlington. Yep, yep. And, if, and, and winning 10 games is probably the way you have to get there. But, uh, you know, with K-State having lost a game in non-conference, uh, you know, they could, they could go. They could have go 9-3 and three and, and still get to the conference championship game. I, I don't think that would There's, be... There's a lot of meaningful games on the back end of the schedule. When you look at Texas still having to play TCU, TCU still having to play the likes of Baylor, and a Tech team that apparently has figured out how to score here of late. Uh, and then you look at Oklahoma State still has – they still have Bedlam. And so the last, I mean, supposed Bedlam game of that series. So, again, I think there's some really big games for these other contenders that you have to look at down the schedule. So – I think all the more importance, like you called out earlier, that this weekend's game presents. I'll tell you what, TCU, I, and we, we talked a little bit about Iowa Team State. of destiny. TCU playing Iowa State that last week of the season. Coming off of two games against Texas and at Texas and at Baylor. It is at home for TCU, but I there's a lot to, that's a long way down the line. Uh, but hey, Quinn... It was great having you uh, fill in here on, on the short side option, uh, folks. It, great to have him here with us. But we're not going to let him go quite yet. We're going to take a quick trip around the Big 12. Quinn, I'm going to play rapid fire with you. We've already talked about Oklahoma State and Kansas State. You've got K-State winning that one. Uh, 11 a.m. Uh, on ESPN out in Morgantown, West Virginia. Undefeated uh, TCU, number seven ranked in the uh, in the country. They head to Morgantown to take on West Virginia, three and four, one and three, in Big Twelve play. Uh, Two part question: Does West Virginia have an upset in them? And if so, and if they don't have an upset in them, is uh, is it thumbs down for Neil Brown to see? Is he hit the unemployment line? Number one, I do not believe they have a shot. This isn't a Thursday night game where people are liquored up. Uh, people will still be liquored up at 11 a.m. Yes, out there. of course. Uh, the fine folks in Morgantown. Uh, I think TCU walks in, handles their business, uh, barring any other weird injury. I'm sure whoever, JT Daniels is probably going to get knocked out the first series uh, to be on par with the rest of TCU's games thus far this season. 
but I also do think Neil Brown will get fired. Last week's performance in Lubbock was not ideal. Uh, what yeah. you want to see out of a year four coach? And, and someone that I, I know both you and I, you know, back when the hiring uh, cycle was going on with Kleiman and him, you know, someone that we knew we would be paying attention to his performance yeah. and, and how Kleiman would be measured in, in conference. And quite frankly, seeing where Kleiman stands, you know, with Neil yeah. Brown, who's on the cusp of being fired. You look at Matt, Matt Wells at Texas Tech fired, and then down on the car. Yeah. Oh, oh, less uh, than last. But I think you know that was a blessing in disguise for them as they moved into life. But I think from that coaching cycle in the Big Twelve, it's pretty easy to say yeah, that Clemson's no a clear front runner. There's no question. Um, so you you, you like we we both like TCU in that game. Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Uh, Gosh, this is a matchup that I've actually been looking forward to for the last two weeks. Uh, once uh, I, I saw Iowa State play Texas so close, I looked at their schedule and said, man, I'm really looking forward to this Oklahoma-Iowa State game. Oklahoma, uh, a one-and-a-half-point uh, road favorite in this game uh, in, in Jack Tri-Stadium in Ames, Iowa. I mean, I think this game is as interesting as any uh, game in the Big 12. I mean, you got two teams that are unranked. Uh, that are that are not Big Twelve title contenders, but yet I think it might be the most interesting game of the week. Uh, Quinn, how do you see this game going? I think it's going to be close. I think the, the people in the desert have a pretty interesting line on this. Being in person and seeing Iowa State's defense, I mean, it is every bit as talented as we what we've seen in years past. I'm gonna don't call me a homer. I think Iowa State pulls this W off. Uh, both teams coming off a bye. I think that's critical. Uh, Iowa State definitely needed to get healed up on the defensive side with Kobe Reader. And I think Will McDonald's is going to be a problem for Oklahoma's offensive line. And I think that they've got the defense to be able to keep that passing game in check. Yeah, you know, I, I picked, I remember when we did our preseason picks, I had Iowa State beating Oklahoma in the spot. I'm like, I'm going to stay, stick with it. Uh, I like the clones to pull one out. They lose so many, they've lost so many close games here over the last couple of years. Uh, this is one they get. So I'm taking Iowa State there. Uh, and then finally, the nightcap in the Big 12. Baylor heads out to the to the West Plains of Texas, and they take on Texas Tech. Texas Tech, a two-and-a-half-point favorite uh, against the Baylor Bears. How do you see this one, Quinn? So the Joey McGuire Bowl. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he left Baylor uh, midseason last year as a position coach to take the Texas Tech head job. Texas Tech looked pretty impressive last week, albeit against a West Virginia team that looks honestly like it didn't want to even be there on Saturday. I think Texas Tech pulls this W out. Baylor down the stretch last week against Kansas showed signs of weakness and maybe a little bit, and and not sure if that was them taking the foot off the gas, but it was a ball game by the fourth quarter with KU. And and I think that there's a little bit of lust that maybe has come off of the, the Dave Aranda you know, shine yeah. from last year. and I, But I think that they're breaking in some new players. I think Texas Tech keeps this momentum rolling and, and further kind of cements my statement of them being a, a challenge for anyone that has not played them this far in the in the conference slate. Yeah, you know, and I think Baylor... I think if this game was in... If this game was in Waco, I'd take Baylor. It, with it being in Lubbock at night, I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. And... Two teams, really, with Texas Tech in particular, they need this one to get to a bowl game. And, uh, God, I mean, 
it's hard to believe that you could be sitting here looking at Baylor, who won the Sugar Bowl last year, played in the uh, and won the conference championship. But if they lose this game, I mean, gosh, they're looking at needing to win two of their last four, and it's at Oklahoma, against K State at home, against TCU at home, and at Texas to get to a bowl game, and they, and that becomes a pretty daunting stretch there because because you need to win two to get to a bowl game. Um, gosh, this is a huge game in the Big Twelve. I think I think you sold me on Texas Tech. I think I'm gonna have to take the Red Raiders in this one. So we we agree on all of the uh, the action here throughout the Big Twelve this week. Uh, I know we say it here kind of every week on the on the big or on the uh, the short side option podcast, but another week in the Big Twelve, another w- week of some really uh, exciting, entertaining games. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, again, every week is a grind. Uh, I think Klein and. Kleiman have said as much, you know, every single one of these is a, a one-game season moving forward. Yep. yep, Quinn, and, you know, like you said, 12 one-week seasons. That's what it's all about. And, you know, this week, this season, so to speak, uh, we, we appreciate you, you getting ready with the uh, the next game of the season and the next one-game season with us here on the short side option with the Oklahoma State game here preview, and we break it down for you. Next week, it's a new season on the short side option where we – Welcome the traitorous Texas Longhorns, which is a game that, gosh, you know, we've played Texas here several times in the, in, or we've had several uh, cases here in the, in the last couple of years where we seemingly have let them off way too easily. Uh, of course, the game um, it, down in Austin last year, never should have lost that game. Uh, then when we played them in, in 2019, down to the final play of the game where they kicked the game-winning field goal. And then 2020, they just beat the doors off us. So we'd like to forget that one if we could and like to get back on the right side of things against Texas. Uh, certainly a great opportunity to do so. Haven't beat them since, um, gosh, I want to say 2016 we beat them too. So 2016, I think, is the last time we beat them because we lost in 2017. So a big opportunity for K-State to, to end a, a losing streak to Texas and get back on the right side of it in a game that's going to have a lot of Big 12 uh, implications as well. One thing's for sure, the eyes of Texas will be on all of us. Yes, they will be. Well, Quinn, once again, thank you for pinch hitting for us here on the short side option. You did a hell of a job. I don't know, Dell might have to be you know, honing in here a little bit. He might be coming for his seat now. Be stalking his shadows here. Yeah. Thanks, I, for, thanks for having me, Icon. Uh, again, very excited for this weekend. Hopefully our predictions come to fruition this Saturday. And, uh, again, I'll be an avid follower and listener for the rest of the season of the short side option. Well, uh, Quentin, we appreciate you. And we also appreciate all the listeners out there here for the short side option. Uh, we we uh, really enjoy bringing it to you here and uh, look, to, look to hopefully uh, be recapping a K-State win over Oklahoma State here next week. That'll do it here for us here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening, and go Cats!